0: Listener Production
1: Okay, are you recording?
0: G'day and welcome along to Season 4 of the Howie Games, Episode 52 It's great to be back
1: I'm back too And I'm back as well Do you think that turkey MJ's back? Yeah, he's back too
0: There are some Ripper episodes in the can. We cannot wait for you to hear some of them. By the way, thanks for all the love on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at MarkHoward03, as well as all your wonderful emails. We read every single one of them at HowieGames at hotmail.com and try and respond. It's great to hear where people are listening and who's inspired them. You can get hold of us at thehowygames at hotmail.com. If you could do us a favour right off the top, if you have time, please rate and review the podcast on your player. And if you think of someone that may like this show, please tell them all about it. As per usual, the Howie Games will drop on a Thursday morning. Alrighty, episode 52 and we are talking hoops with a man who has returned home after a long and successful NBA career to suit up for the Sydney Kings in the NBL. Just rejected by Andrew Bogut, who is out and running, following Brandon Jennings, between the legs to Bogut for the two-handed crusher. Watch it one more time. Beautiful dish from Jennings and Bogut with authority. The old two-handed crusher. Love it. Andrew Bogut, in many ways, is a thinking man's athlete. He's open, honest, and always prepared to voice his opinion. This chat covers Andrew's journey from a young man not able to make local rep sides all the way through to an NBA title. You'll hear all about LeBron James, Steph Curry, teamwork, the business of the NBA, and a whole lot more. Enjoy the big man, NBA championship winner and ripping bloke, Andrew Bogut. So when you search and
1: then you find Know just where to go, and thoughts that once used to cloud your mind. You see clearly, and now you know, mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie. I. Come on, children, tread with me, we want to reach Mount Zion. And
0: Andrew Bogart, welcome to the Howie Games. You won't realise, but I've been chasing you around the world for the last year and a half. Now you're home, it's great to be able to sit down with you. Yeah, it is, good to be here. Thank you for your attendance here at Kudos Bank Arena um, this morning. It's it's an incredibly um, huge honour that I have to be the first to announce officially that we welcome Andrew Bogut uh, to the Sydney Kings for a period of the next two seasons in the NBL. There is so much excitement and there's so much we've got to talk about, mate. But there is so much excitement from not just basketball fans, but I reckon sports fans that we've seen you on the other side of the world playing. We watch you on the telly, but now we're going to be able to watch you play live. It must be cool to hear that type of thing.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Look, um, to come home and play in Australia is, is something that has always kind of been up there as something I wanted to do, um, but the league obviously has been been so up and down and, and had uh, had probably a, a pretty bad bad decade, decade plus um, pre, pre-new ownership in Larry Kesselman, so... The concern was always putting your name and getting involved in something that that wasn't yeah. wasn't a professional product. To be honest, let's be honest, it wasn't run professionally. There was clubs going under almost every other year. The league was always there's always that hanging question of uh, is the league going to survive? Is going to go bankrupt tomorrow? Mm. Um, and now that there's some consistency with what they're trying to do, they've got the right people involved. They're slowly trying to do it the right way, and they're drawing up some interest and it's, it's gotten better. You know, the time was right to come back.
0: Why the Kings? Because I'm sure every club in the land was like, right, we want a piece of the big man. Why the Sydney Kings?
2: Uh, just the way they handled the whole situation. I, I was talking to Melbourne, obviously, which which was which was very close to happening, but Sydney just, um, you know, they, they they made it a priority to, to, to really put together a presentation and and just a, a pitch that I really liked. Um, it wasn't solely about basketball. The end goal for us is to win basketball games. With the with an athlete like myself coming back from from the States I think there was some other other things that I wanted to have in place that were important to me and, and they were great just dealing with them so it, it just worked, worked out that way
0: Have you been surprised by the reception? As I say I work in sport and everybody is just like wow we're going to be able to go and watch this bloke who He's become distant because you're performing your trade on the other side of the world. We're going to be able to sit and watch you. I know kids are like, wow, we're going to get to see this guy play live.
2: Yeah, and the other the other part of the decision was that, you know, I do have a, a pretty long, long list of injuries. It was... Do I come back now while I've still got something in the tank or I, I at least think I do? Or do I come back when I'm 36, 37 and I'm, I'm probably not going to be close to my best? Mm. So that was the other factor which kind of made me think – there were so many – I had a pros and cons list. I, I'm pretty adamant on putting things on paper and, and weighing up the good and bad in decisions that I make. And, and the pros just outweighed the cons and there's, there's a laundry list of those as well. But um, yeah, it was more coming back now while, I've, while I can still still perform at a decent level.
0: Without giving away trade secrets, can you tell me the things that you weren't sure about or that were keeping you playing in the States?
2: Oh once you're gone you're gone. Right. Yeah. So once you once you leave the NBA you know, especially a guy a guy that's thirty three years old. You're not you're not going to play a year in Australia and then go expect to get another contract in the NBA. It just doesn't happen. It happens maybe for the younger fellas that mm. need to go and find some form or find themselves or become more mature. They go to Europe for a year or two and then end up back in the league and they're great stories. But for thirty year olds, I, I don't. I wouldn't even know. Maybe people out there can Google it, but I don't think that's happened to a thirty year old. Um, so the decision for me, uh, the con was, you know, once I retire from the NBA and and once I stop playing there. Am I am I now comfortable to say that's done and dusted and behind me? There's no looking looking at, uh, behind me, saying, yeah. "Oh, you know, maybe I should have squeezed so out the How, another how year difficult
0: or two. was that? Because it's it's the premier basketball competition in the world. You're still obviously good enough to play in it. How difficult was it to say, "Righto"?
2: I'm done with that. Well, the stability for me was also key, so I would be on, on one year vet min deals, um, which which was fine. Um, you know, it wasn't all about the money for me. It was more just just signing uh, one year at a time becomes hard and frustrating. I've got a, I've got an eighteen month old, and I'm expecting another in a month or two. Um, and I saw firsthand in the last at least two years of my NBA career how hard it is to move when you've got kids. Um, and that played a factor because all of a sudden we these sleep patterns down and then I get I get traded and then it's a new house, kids yeah. all over the place, he's, he's not fitting in well. you got to baby proof a whole other house. Now people out there will think, oh, suck it up, we all do it. But the difference is you could get traded two or three times in a year and have to go find a house and then I have to leave my family in the last city, go to that city within 48 hours find a house within a week or two, get a value proof so I'm probably gonna not gonna see my kid, my kids or my wife for about a month. And at this point in their life I think they they do every, they do something every day that's new and that, that you end up missing <laughs> and it was just that was a that was a part of the pros of, of, of coming back to Australia. A
0: couple of questions to that and I actually made some notes and I'm not normally mentioning <laughs> I was just try, I was just I was just trying to figure the way you'd moved around and you're talking about that. So when you went to Dallas, right? How do you find out? How quickly do you move? And then you move straight on from there. How does it work in American sport? And how do you deal with that as an athlete? What happened with Dallas?
2: Yeah, so thankfully, I've only been traded once um, uh, in season, and that was from Milwaukee to Golden State, which worked out pretty well. Um, uh, So you usually get 48 hours to report.
0: So Uh, you're playing for the team. Yep. And the GM knocks on your door and says, right, you're
2: Usually, they try to get your agent to call you first. Um, There's been times where blokes have literally been in a locker room and have read it on the bottom of the screen you know if there's a game playing in the background on the telly yeah there's people that have seen people that have because you know everything gets leaked these days Yeah, so there'll be a journal that leaks it on Twitter and they're on their phone and they start getting texts and they haven't been told by management or their agent and those guys get pretty pissy about it because it's it can hurt yeah. a little bit, um, but generally, if you have got a good agent, you should hopefully know. Like, hey, there's a chance they're going to trade you. Hopefully, they tell you a couple of days before, and you're prepared for it. But basically, once once you get traded, there's you know it is what it is. You you've got 48 hours to report; otherwise, you start getting fined, or they, they you know unless you got a, a legit reason for not to report within those two days. But I got traded um, from Golden State to Dallas because they they were making room um, in their cap for Kevin Durant, um, which worked out pretty well for him. But I got moved during training camp with the national team, so I was in Melbourne actually. Um, and I knew, I knew it was most likely going to happen anyway. So I kind of had a feeling because I heard the rumors about KD, and I, I, my inside sources had told me that deal was done long before it was announced. Mm. Um, so I was in national team camp, and I woke up at night, you know, eight thirty for our team breakfast, and looked at my phone, and I had, a, you know, thirty missed calls and texts. Please call, from my agent. So I knew straight away. So I jumped online before I called. I called my agent and, oh. and knew I was going to Dallas, and, and that's kind of how it all went down.
0: And then you just roll into the new club. G'day, I'm Andrew. Like, how does it? Yeah, so I
2: went to the Olympics, um, and then basically from there went to Dallas. New teammates. Didn't have a, a, a great season there. Um, halfway through, they basically asked, you know, do you want to do you want to be finish the season with us? We're not going to make the playoffs. Um, I said no, and they 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 were professional with it. They ended up. Either they were going to release me if they couldn't find a trade but they ended up finding a trade to dump my salary and then Philly released me um, and then I ended up signing with Cleveland which didn't end, end too well because I was there for literally a week um, but yeah they're, they're the kind of things that, that really knock you about when it's, when it's just me or myself and my girlfriend who yeah. is now my wife um, it's much easier you just pack, a pack of two suitcases you're gone and the wife handles the next week of just packing up the house you were in and then she meets you but when you got kids and, and newborns um, you know everything goes out the window and I just didn't want to create mm. create an environment that um, that, that I'm moving about I'm not, I'm not going to act like I had you know this this five year deal waiting for me that I've given up in the NBA I was far from that
0: it would have been a year at a time for me um, and it was just something I didn't want to do anymore so many things and we need to get back to the start in a minute but, but that's why I'm so interested to talk to you because it's so different here if you leave your beloved Bombers and go and play at another club it's front page news it's a massive decision you guys are getting moved on left right and centre there's so much of discussion these days about mental health in sport it must be difficult not necessarily for you but you must have seen guys that just get uprooted so I don't even know what the word is so quickly and so violently and so I guess And they've got to Go on and Start again Yeah And you Look You,
2: you love lo- lo- Loyalty in sport is, is, is foregone It was it was The 70s And the 80s um, Especially in the AFL It was great And he's a one club man mm. And father son And all that That's gone kind of out the window Like it, it's Sport's great um, But it's still a business They need to make money And they're going to make decisions That get them over the top Or get them a premiership Or a championship And you have to understand that And, and it does get It does get hard to understand um, it is show business although people still try to th- cling on that it's it's sport it's pure look there's 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 poison throughout sport as well it's just the reality of the world um, money How do you talks you mean poison well you, you know there's 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 agendas there's there's you know um, in the sense of a gm might draft a guy and the coach didn't want that, guy, And the coach doesn't play, play him as much as he should because the coach thinks he's no good. And the GM says, mate, like, you need to play my guy because I look bad because I drafted him. It looks like a bus draft. And the coach is saying, well, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not good. And then the owner's going to decide, who am I firing? You know, and just stuff like that. That's just a small example. But that that goes on throughout throughout locker rooms. You know, you got a guy that's playing in front of you and guys are like you know I hope he has a, a bad shooting quarter so I can get some you know although all that all that one two three bring it in stuff and we're a family and we're yep. a team <laughs> no no it's so just definitely you, not
0: like that how do you bogey how do you develop team like in this hard. country we're all about team and mm. sacrifice and oh, i prefer the entertainment model whereas here you know it's all about oh you know i kick seven but i couldn't have done it without the teammates it's obviously yeah. different in america how do you yeah. generate that team that it's you're very hard in?
2: it's a, it's a, the good teams that have a bunch of stars that can give up a little bit yeah for the greater good of the team you're not going to get a guy to give up everything and you know, right. that's just not going to happen um the teams that do that usually win um, the nba generally is, is is not not so much about talent these days it's about the people that you recruit and the talent that you have can they can they mentally and psychologically all you know maybe you're not going to get 20 shots anymore because we've just you know like Steph Curry's a prime example of why I love him because they get Kevin Durant and he's cool with it a lot of, a lot of, a lot of star players on, on most teams wouldn't wouldn't like that because they got another guy coming in that's all of a sudden the billboard guy for our city <laughs> and the dynamics change so you know, and and the difference probably with Australian sport and American is the, the amount of money. You know, it's it's, it's we're not talking hundred thousand dollar differences. We're talking five, ten, fifteen million dollar yeah. differences of if I average ten points to, to you know compared to fifteen points, or well, I get that extra rebound. So there's cases where guys will steal rebounds from each other on the same team, and guys will will not want to pass a ball until they know someone's going to shoot us. So they get an assist. You know, and and there are things that happen because unfortunately we're paid on. On statistics, Um, it's statistics-driven league, and that's where I mean it can be poisonous. Um, And and it's look, you gotta you gotta be selfish to an extent um, because if if no one if no one um, no one's gonna back you more than yourself, kind of mentality, which Mm -hmm. is kind of opposite of what we're taught in Australia. But that's how it is over there. Um, But I I always struggle with that. I really struggle with it because I I didn't really care if I was scoring ten or scoring twenty or scoring thirty. It was kind of like I feel like. I felt better about going home with a win. Yes, you know, I felt empty to have. It's nice. I scored twenty five, but we lost by fifteen. It's kind of like, okay, great, cool. I had a great individual year, but I'm at home in April watching the playoffs. <laughs> Whereas when I went to Golden State, that's why it was it was such a such a good experience. Was we had a lot of guys that gave up a little bit, uh, just a tiny bit, and that that chess that that pu- chess chess game, or that puzzle piece, you know,
0: all came together, and we ended up winning a championship. So as you became a more experienced athlete, a- and your yeah position in the team was, it was solid and guaranteed. From your Australian perspective, did you say to these guys, listen, the best way to go forward as an individual is if we play as a team or is it just a completely alien notion?
2: Nah, it's it's, it's hard because you've got, you got guys that are in last year's of their contracts that are like, yeah that's great but I need to get my 20 and 10 or I'm not getting paid next year wow. and then you got guys that are you know, fringe guys that are one foot in the league, one foot out. They need to prove themselves. You know, so there's there's a, and you don't blame them. There's, that, that's the that's the the way the leagues kind of set up, and you, you just got to deal with that. And the you know the good coaches and GMs will say, yeah, it's a distraction, but we got to work our way around it and and try to figure it out. Um, but that's that's the hardest part. There's there's too many driving factors. You know, um, we don't we don't eat together, so, so you know, an NBA team. I've, I still remember my first NBA road trip in Milwaukee. Um, we got to, I think it was in New York um, or New Jersey, and we got to the city and we landed and um, I was like, you know, where's where's team dinner? Once we got to the hotel, and were, looked, one of the vets, Tony Kukurge, looked at me and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, do we have a team meal or a meeting or something? No, nah, well, you're free to we'll shoot around the next morning. I'm like, okay cool that's cool so yeah you have, you have a bit more freedom um, but then you're like it's kind of weird like we don't we don't really see each other outside of shoot around training and, and games um, but whereas a good teams which is probably only five teams out of 30 you'll get a, a lot of the guys we'll have a group chat and we'll hey, we're we'll, we'll, we'll going dinner at 730 who wants to come okay meet in the lobby. And the Warriors was the first team I'd been on where we'd have double-digit guys every every road trip. You know, some cities, you might be from Chicago, and we go to Chicago, so you might have cousins or family. Yep. So, we, you know, you, you're going to go do your thing. But Golden State was the first team I'd been on. We'd have we'd have 10 or 11 guys minimum at every every single meal because we all have to eat, right? Yeah. So we might as well yeah. do it together um, and, and get to know each other and, and get to learn different guys' stories about their upbringings and their family and what they've been through and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and sometimes just making fun of each other, you know, and I think it, it builds a bond, like you said, um, that, that essentially got us to a point where we were, you know, champions because we had that extra one or two
0: percent which made a difference. It's funny. I was reading an article two weeks ago, it just popped into my head now in the Good Weekend magazine, and it was talking about the psychology of sport. And there was a lot of work done, and, and it had emanated in America. And Richmond here had used it. That basically the players would get up in front of the group and talk about themselves and their greatest fears and their lowest points in their life. And it was seen to bond the team together even more than training sessions if you were invested in your teammate and his story.
2: Yeah, I think putting your insecurities out there is not a bad thing in a group setting. If you've got guys mature enough to to be respectful of, 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 hey, this is my weakness, this is what I struggle with and this is what I do well, I think then you at least can – can, can figure out when you need to put your arm around a guy or when you need a, when you need to put a rocket up him and, and everyone's different and that's that's kind of the from a coaching point of view in the NBA I've always said and I've always had these thoughts that it's a lot of it's not X's and O's a lot of it's people management it's, it's people management 101 it's like this guy over here I can I can MF him and swear at him and yell at him put a rocket up him I know he's gonna go out there and respond but if I do it to that guy over there he's done for the game um, whereas this guy needs a hug every now and then, and, and that's yeah. that's that's the psychology of sport. And the good coaches understand that. The bad coaches are like, "No, nah, this is the way we do things. You need to do this because back in 1980, that's how we did it, and we won." And, and those guys just don't last. And we see it a lot in football. We see a lot of these old uh, the old schoolers can be good, but they can also be detrimental to a team and, and set it instead of arguably set a, a team up, a, a team down for yeah. five or six years where they're still feeling the ramifications of, of, of what an imprint did.
0: So when it is sometimes about the individual and you're at a team that's not like Golden State, how do you maintain your love of the game of oh, what you're doing hard. when it's such a business?
2: Yeah, it's very hard. You know, and um, I've had years where I've loved the game. I've had years where I've, where I've had seasons where I'm like, you know, actually, I hated the last year of basketball. You just see it literally as a business transaction. and And to be honest, it seeps into everybody. It started to seep into me at times where you have to kind of catch yourself and be like, no, like, you know, but... It's it's the environment you're in. You're in. It is it is a very, you know, if you're not strong-minded and 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 strong-willed, it's, it can be very poisonous. Um, and and that's that's the other thing. Of, I figured that out early, so I kind of just did my thing and I was cool in my own skin. People didn't like me; they didn't like me. But after a while, it wears on you because you're always thinking. Like, you know, you see someone. You know, there's a lot of money involved, a lot of celebrities. So sometimes just the way some people treat other people because of that, like a a flight stewardess or something. And, you know, I'd see certain things along the way and I'm like, I hope I never get to that point. But the more I hang around this group, this kind of environment, maybe I'll pick some of that up, not even know it. So I'd always try to check myself. But
0: um, Did you ever go down that path of being a rock star?
2: um, I wouldn't say being a rock star. It was never me. I'm not a huge, you know, limelight, you know, dressed in all that it was flashy clothes that kind of wasn't me it was more just the simple things that I'd, I'd grown up to to be tired of saying please and thank you and, and not expecting people that are you know quote unquote below me status wise to just jump at everything that I want and just demand it whereas I'd you know try to you know say please and thank you and it, it would frustrate me just on flights you know where there'd be certain guys just you know having these stewardesses um can I say that these days flight attendants um running up and down the aisles doing all this stuff and not saying please or thank you and you you know you try to address it but if a guy doesn't want to do it they don't want to do it and that kind of that's just a small example and it might seem petty but they're the kind of things that also weighed on me it's just like I couldn't I couldn't just keep you know letting that kind of stuff slide so it was a point of like
0: you know it might might just be time to get out of this environment too one more question before we get back to the start. I knew I was going to enjoy this chat with you. I don't know if you've seen Balls with The Rock yeah. about management. Have you seen yeah, that show? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. I like the show. Um, and, and there's another one done about the NFL, um, about agents signing players. You mentioned your agent. How do you go about choosing an agent when you are a financial entity, you're worth a lot of money, how do you go about choosing a person that is going to steer you through this School of Sharks For want of a better term It's
2: hard Is it Uh, I met my My agent um, David Bauman. I met him uh, When I was Before I went to college They ran into my parents At the World Junior Championships That we won When I was a young fella In Greece Um, And Just Exchange business card type thing and just kept in touch with him, and then I just liked the way he went about it. But I didn't know what I liked because I didn't—I wasn't business savvy at all. had no idea how these things worked. And to be honest, I, I lucked out. I had a good guy, um, but I could have easily chose someone just as just the same as him that was a, a shark. And and you, you kind of there's not many athletes that stay with the same agent they sign with. You know, guys go through two or three of them throughout their career um, once they get a bit more smart. And I was very lucky that. Um, you know, he's still with me to this day. So it's very lucky that I chose a guy like that. But obviously, you know, there was some stuff in the media about a sports agency I was involved in here that didn't, mm.
0: didn't turn out so well. So, um, you know, it, it does go both ways and you live and you learn and, and, and you get on with it. So have you seen it happen to teammates? Do you see it happening that they're earning all this money and it's going up somewhere
2: in smoke? Yeah, and, and look, back in the day it was it was even worse because agents would be... Um, Connected to financial advisors. So I'd be like, how hey, about a financial advisor for you? And then it just never ends well. You want to try to keep all of that independent. Um, and then with my finances, I had a financial advisor who was the same. I was very, very lucky. It was it was a, a bloke that he showed up to a meeting and like Wrangler, Wrangler jeans are kind of like jeans from Target. Um, you know just your workman's jeans and Mm. tennis shoes and just like a polo and i like that about him Mm. um if he would have showed up in a pinstripe suit with a rolex and coming out of a bentley i would have been like where are you getting all that money from it's your money yeah exactly so (laughs) i was lucky in that in that sense um but it still irked me going into meetings even with him he tried to break everything down for me he's like if you don't understand something let me know and i don't understand most of it like yields you know return on roi return on investment all this stuff all this financial jargon i had no idea so i went back and did a um a course through RMIT here in Australia, Open Uni, did it online, and the course was called Personal Wealth Management. So I was like, "Bang, that's perfect!" And I did did a year course on that. Um, not, I got credits for it, but I, I couldn't give a crap about the the, the degree. It was for um, bettering myself. And and then from the, I was about twenty eight, twenty nine. I ended up telling my financial advisor, "I don't need I don't need your services besides all my taxes anymore." Okay. And, and he was pumped for me. He was like, "That's the best thing I heard." Like working for athletes, 20, 30 years. Like I love hearing those stories because at least now you you understand what's going on.
0: So where and how do guys in these leagues blow the money? Is, oh, is it all cars and bling and? No,
2: me, mate. The, I think the number one factor is family.
0: Family, yeah. That'd be the number one factor. Giving, they, giving it to family.
2: Yeah, because they hold. They hold a. You know, your family obviously helped you get there, and 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 drove you around to junior sports, and your parents, and this and that, and, and you always feel that burden of guilt that you need to you need to give back and give back and give back and give back, and you do to an extent but it's not a, a well the well's gonna run dry eventually you know you're gonna have your kids one day and and you're gonna have your own family and you you know an athlete's career lasts you know what's the mm. AFL it's three or four years now right mm. you know so let's say you get ten years you've done you've, you've smashed the averages You've got to, that's gonna last the rest of your life the biggest thing I've I've seen with guys is their families just have an open access to bank accounts and um you know, they buy houses wherever they want and cars and, and, and constantly like one off you know if you take care of your family like I bought my parents a, a place when I first got drafted you know that's a whole different story but the well runs dry much quicker when you've got a you know let's say an, an uncle a sister two parents you know and, and a cousin that's five people that are expecting a couple hundred grand a year mm. that only goes so far um, and then on top of that, you got to you know you got to live nice and have a a nice car and fly in private and all that. It can go really quickly. Um, <laughs> but the, the I would say stupid spending is one, like you said. But I think the one that trumps that, that no one talks about, is, is family and friends and, and that entourage of
0: of just handing out money. You mentioned your family, and this will almost get us back to the start, which I've been promising for the last twenty minutes, mate. Um, what's it like being able to do that? For your mum and dad, buy them a house as a young man to say thanks for everything they've done to you. At that point, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to do for your
2: parents. Yeah, look, it was it was something I always wanted to do as a young young fella, and um, you know, it was uh, it was interesting because you know they worked up until up until I was drafted, and and the one mistake I probably made was that I probably should have let them still work a little bit because I feel like once they stopped working you know you always want to have no matter how rich you are and most most people with wealth will tell you you still got to have something to get up in the morning for mm. and I feel like I turned that off for him a little bit so probably a mistake in hindsight um, but yeah they, they really helped me get around as a junior and drove me around um, but looking back now that I'm a parent I do the same thing for my son and I wouldn't expect a dollar back you know so it was a thank you to them bought them a couple of cars and a, and a nice place on the water and Um, They enjoyed it They've they've moved up north now And they're out of Melbourne But um, Yeah You you have the ability to do it Um, But at the same time It can be a burden as well Because um, Like I said Once you Once you Once that well is seen It's very hard to just turn off You know Because then people People Not only will they uh, Probably not Try to better themselves Or continue to you know work hard progress they'll, they'll somewhat fall on their laurels knowing that there's a security blanket behind them which can have a detrimental effect not only for you know screw the money but more your psychological makeup of of that you know and that that's where it becomes you know a tough conversation at times
0: wealth you talked about and i think it's on the public record that salary wise you've earned probably over a hundred million dollars and to me, mate, that's a massive positive. I, I don't see this while well, these basically get paid too much. If you're the best at what you do and you're going to get paid. So it's a congratulations for me that you've earned that amount of money. Is it much, without sounding like a knob, is it much of a burden, wealth and people knowing that you have tremendous wealth when you meet people?
2: It was early on. I really struggled with it, like especially throughout my 20s, especially coming back to Australia because every article would be $60 million man yeah, $50 million man off, straight away no even Harold Sun right. it was always it was always like the money Then Andrew Boggart it wasn't like do you know what I mean yeah. so that, that I really struggled with that and then I got to a point where I was like yeah like I was arguably for a number of years in the NBA I was a top five big man uh, you know and um, I, I, I earned my money when you look at what was paid from the NBA for other, go- other guys in my position should basketball players be getting paid this kind of money? i probably agree with most people and say no. Yeah, but you're generating the revenue. Exactly. So, that's, that's where I'm going with this. So, people will be like, oh, a fireman saving lives and a policeman. And, and I I agree to an extent with that. But you only, you know, it's, it's economics 101. Mm. You get back from whatever the pie brings in, it gets cut up, right? So, unfortunately for people out there that hate the fact that I have money, the NBA's just going up and up. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's it's cracked China now. It's getting into India. and. Um, the salaries are exuberant, but that's that's kind of you know what what we have to deal with. Um, but it is it is one of those things, you so, know. So how
0: do you deal with people in your younger years when your your salary's published and people are approaching you as a potential friend or as an investment partner or people you're meeting? Because that's not a problem that general public yeah, has.
2: Yeah, because it's all... You know, the USA Today, the biggest paper in the States, has a has a lift out every year of, of every pro sports pro sportswoman and, and men's salary. Yeah, which and, is... You know, which is kind of head-scratching, but it makes for an interesting talk with trades and all that kind of stuff and then, you know, they can drum up interest in, oh, that guy's making that much, but yeah. he's not that good. But that's a whole other story. But it's... The biggest thing I learned was was being able to say no and be content with it. Yeah, so I've got no problem saying no now, like early on my early 20s mid 20s I really struggled with saying no so if someone asked me for you know money or or invested in a business I couldn't just point blank say no or uh, you know uh, let me look at it like or sometimes you'd, you'd end up giving a little bit just to see if you if you get it back um, which was actually a good point. like I've had some family ask for money and I've lent them a little bit at times and then, you know, the next time they ask, you're like, you haven't paid back the last day. So, you can kind of right. <laughs> stymie it in a nice way. I'm <laughs> um, not talking big money, obviously, mm. a few thousand or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it, saying no is probably the hardest thing to learn as an athlete. And, and most athletes, you know, if they're telling the truth, they, they'd agree with that. Um, saying no to family and friends is, is tough. But... You know, it is what it is. Like, if you don't think it's it's pertinent to be handing out checks to people at, uh, after a certain amount of time or, or ever, you got to figure out how to say no and, and have people let down by you. But that's that's something that you got to live with.
0: More of Andrew Bogut in a minute. Next week on the Howie Games, a fella that has played over 100 test matches for his country. He is the newly appointed Australian coach, Justin Langer, and above all that, he is a very, very funny man.
1: We then get to tea, and Brian Lara at this stage a hundred not out, right? hundred and ten not out. So we get to tea, and then we get upstairs in the change room, and we're having the Branston pickle and cheese sandwiches, another couple of mugs of tea. We're having a donut. We're having the fruit cake.
0: <laughs> mate, You've got like, me snorting, mate.
1: I'm not joking. I can't not believe it. I'm like crying. You know when you start seeing those comedy they start eating so they start crying. And you, I felt like I was going to burst, right? And then we get we finished the <laughs> the last session, mate. It gets better. Brian Lara two hundred and seventy four. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've been chasing Brian leather, all Lara, time.
1: I'm trying to chase leather. Brian Lara two hundred and seventy four. And then we're going to go out for dinner that night. And we went to the Italian restaurant <laughs> in St John's Wood High Road, right? And then we're having the oh, mate. We're having the the white bait And the squid The calamari oh. Then we're having The lasagna and we're having The Oh mate And then we have The tiramisu It's not just <laughs> <laughs> The tiramisu And vanilla ice cream Like by the end of the day Oh mate
0: That's Justin Langer Next week On the Howie Games Back to bogey So We're finally going to Get back to the start When did you first Start playing basketball um,
2: Organised. Organised was probably I was about nine or ten years old. Right. Yeah. Um, and what was it about basketball? Just always liked it. Um, I'm not sure what it was. I, I started with what was my first sport. I always had a footy in my hand mm. or a basketball in my hand as a young fella. I mean, Melbourne, you were kind of born with a footy in your hand. You're a bombers, man. Yep. Um, so I did a lot of um, Vic kick. So that shows my age. It was called Vic kick <laughs> back then. Now it's Oz kick.
0: Um, Who was your footy hero?
2: Um, The the bombers in general But Michael Long Gamma Wanganeen That era The the early 90s um, Was sensational We were very very successful Um so I did that. My sister did gymnastics. She was five years older, so I got kind of thrown into that because it would, was easier for the parents to drop us both off to the same sport. Gymnastics? Well, at a young age. I was, I was, I was probably six, six, seven, eight years old. Right. absolutely hated it. So you weren't a big man I at hated that point? It. No, I was not was a big boy. But I wasn't a big man, but well, I, I absolutely hated pod. that. That lasted about less than a year. <laughs> um, all I enjoyed was the trampoline. That was about it. Um, and then I did some taekwondo. Taekwondo. Um, did a bit of that and then ended up not just not liking it because I, I like to you know I like ball sports I like having that that, that skill of, of throwing a ball you know into a hoop or tennis, tennis hitting a tennis ball or whatever so I was doing then I was doing a kick and then um and then I just love basketball. Like I, I don't know, um, my dad had a uh, mechanical workshop, and next door to him was some panel beaters, and they drilled a um, a basket, just an old school Kmart one, where you just literally screw it into brick. But they used it to dry parts that they'd painted. I started throwing like I think it was a tennis ball first, and a soccer ball, and I'm like, oh, I really like this, and then got a basketball, and and then was like begging them to to, to, to let me join a team, um, but they were. You know uh, A bit wary Because I changed th- Sport three or four times I said you know If you choose this now And give up footy This is it There's no more There's no more back and forth And, and the rest was kind of history I've I played basketball ever since Did your parents
0: Did they immigrate to Australia?
2: Yeah So my grandparents immigrated And my parents were both um, 15, 16 When they came here permanently and Right they, And they, they From Both, both Croatian Right um, But they both met here in, okay. the, in the Croatian community In Australia Back in the You know In the 70s
0: 80s era So so you start playing basketball. What's uh Andrew Bogut like at school? it uh, wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. Um, I mean I was
2: I was at school sitting in class drawing basketballs on, on paper. Honestly. <laughs> right. Yeah, like that's that's well, I mean, good for art. Yeah, yeah. You're decent, but I just <laughs> never never enjoyed school to that extent. It was like primary school was fine and then high school it was like, nah, like this this is all great, I'm gonna be a basketballer and So
0: that was it, I'm gonna be a basketballer.
2: Yeah, but it was you know, teachers are like hey, you're an idiot like you're not gonna you need to be learn like I'm, I'm not illiterate or anything like that like I'm well read I can you know I can do maths I can I love my geography that's one subject that I really liked um, and English I was pretty good at but it was you know it was always in the back of my mind that I'm, I'm gonna be a professional sportsman um, and and school I wouldn't say it took a backseat. I, I still tried but it was hard for me to focus on books because I was just so adamant on just getting home and watching basketball on TV and then going outside and shooting that you know it wasn't it wasn't a case of like I just hated school it was just like there was something else that
0: was more important to me and your basketball hero would have been the old mate from Tony Kuchel
2: was yeah so he was he was the reason why I liked him was not just because he was Croatian he was um he was a skinny frail skilled guy that was like just looked weird out there because he was so skinny and I was like that as a young fella you I, I, could, I couldn't put on weight like I was still at 16, 17 I was I was 6'10 and weighed 90 kilo you know so I was, I was a rake and um Cool story about that was I ended up playing with him. Uh, my, my rookie year was his last year in the NBA. He was like a veteran presence for wow. us. Um, so that was, that was
0: really cool. So he, you would have posted him on your wall yeah. and, and yeah. You're playing
2: with yeah. him. At his that jersey. Is, that is absolutely his jersey, fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's just cool stories. It, it's funny how, how it goes full circle. I said to you at the start of this that, that one of my favourite things about this show is that we have a lot of kids listening. Um, and I don't know, I, I've got a, a six-year-old now and he started playing soccer. And they don't tell them the score. And I, I don't need to know where you sit on this, but I sit there and think, gee whiz, the next 15 years is going to be a competition for a uni spot, for a job, etc. cetera. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be that resilient. But that's what I think kids get out of this podcast, that it hasn't always come easy to the people that have done very well. I digress. But there's there's a legendary story about you that you were coming up through the Victorian underage ranks and you didn't get selected.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got cut numerous times, so... Um, I got cut under sixteen from under sixteen bottom age team from Daniel Rangers. I ended up leaving and going to to Waverly for a, uh, a season. Why um, they cut?
0: You? They tell you why?
2: Just wasn't good enough. Had a bad attitude. I was there I was one of those. I did if you if you didn't know me um, and you you were just a parent from a, another kid that was watching the crowd. I was very emotional. So I'd show I'd show how the game was going on my face. Uh-huh. So if like a guy took a bad shot and was hogging the ball, I'd be like looking at him like what what are you doing? <laughs> and you can't do that as a kid because it's like you're a bad kid. So I was like, okay, great. But that, that essentially got me to where I am. Um, you know, I'd get subbed out when I, when I've, you know, I'll be, I'll be pissed getting subbed out because I'm playing bad and I'd come out like pissed off. It wasn't so much pissed that I got subbed out. I was, mm. I was mad at myself, but I just showed my emotions, um, which, which, you know, in Australian sport is not a good thing. Um, but that got me to where I was. And, and, and then I went to Waverley for a couple of seasons, um, did okay there, then went to Sandringham. And, and then um, I tried out for the under 18 top age team. Uh, I was doing a lot of training on the side with a, with a personal trainer that my parents tell tell us about that. Yeah, some uh, there was just some old Yugoslav, well Yugoslavian, half Serbian, half Croatian guy um, at a, at one of my games and saw me like long wingspan, like lanky, kind of could move a little bit and and ended up sitting next to my dad randomly um, and said I could make that kid a, a star. Dad's like, oh, that's funny, it's my son. Like, huh. so yeah, I could, if you train with me, I could make him a star. But I was like, oh, right, cool. Like, where do you train He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. All right, cool. So ended up exchanging details anyway. And then um, we got home that night or the next day and, and the guide called my dad and said, you're on. Um, and then that was probably <laughs> hell for about a year um, because I was still doing all my club trainings. Um, so, you know, doing probably four or five team sessions a week, doing ITC, which was a training program with the Victorian kind of basketball for, for juniors kind of thing. We trained two times before school every week, which was 6 or 7 a.m. And then this dude picked me up from school every day. Every day. Right. Um, So if I had team sessions at 7, he'd be waiting at the school at 3.30, straight in his car, straight to the gym, Train till six, go home, eat something, then go to the team session.
0: And what did what did training as a
2: fifteen-year-old 15 involved? Oh, just just whatever. What, I mean, a lot of shooting, a lot of technique stuff, a lot of conditioning. Um, we're doing charger drills. I was doing ball handling. I was doing you know plyometrics. So I was doing everything. Did you love it or hate it? Oh, hard. Like it was. I hate. I I, I love the game so much that I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, wouldn't have stopped. But there were there were days you questioned whether you like it that much because this guy was 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 tough. Um, and how much were you improving? A lot. I proved a lot. My ball skills, everything, my shooting, um, just just knowing the game. My, my basketball IQ was always always at a at a high, in my opinion, because I just watched so much of it on TV and studied the game, and I'd, I'd study games and passes and rotations, and go outside and emulate them So he couldn't really help that too much. It was just having me grow into my body, starting to get a little bit stronger, and putting it all together. He was kind of you know the person that connected that puzzle together, and then. Then I tried out for that 18s team and um, I thought I had a crack. I, I thought I had a legit shot to make it. And there's a lot of politics in junior sports, as we know. Um, there was one kid that had to make the team. Uh, if he didn't make the team, one of the star players couldn't come because their family drove him. Stuff like that, which was cool, whatever. But So I didn't make that team, but I made emergency. So I didn't make the, the squad of 12. I was 13 there was three emergency spots 13, 14, 15 and so you train with the squad still like you're part of it and if someone gets hurt playing for their representative sides up until the national championships which were four or five months away you, you get to fill in right but I can tell you like there was one kid that was questionable and I would have take any spot but he was doing everything he can to make sure he went which mm. is fair enough but so I got to train from basically February to about July or August with the state team which was every Saturday and Sunday we trained for two hours and by the end of that kind of the end of that before they went they went to the championships I was the best player on that team in my opinion like I, I was I was gone at every training just like with the chip on my shoulder like I'm I'm beating the beating the crap out of you every single training session and then the other cool thing was all those kids in those in the state team all play for you know metropolitan teams around Victoria so I would play against their team so they'd be the man on their team I'd play against each one of their teams eventually and I just had it circled on my calendar each guy and like we lost a lot of the games because we weren't a talented team but we you had it circled on the calendar. Yeah, just like I'm playing this guy that took my spot, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> That's the mentality that I had, and then. So where did that drive come from? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I've always, like I said, I always had an attitude and a chip on my shoulder. Um, being tall, you kind of it's kind of inbuilt in you as a young fella because o- older kids tend to mess with you a little bit more, thinking that you're older and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, growing up down in long in Devon Hills area, obviously toughens you up very very quickly. Um, but yeah, the, the story ended up finishing where. Um, you usually go to the national championships you represent Victoria, South Australia you play at those championships and there's like the the, there's our Australian junior team scouts that go to watch those games to then pick the Australian squad from so I'm not at that tournament so I'm probably not going to go to the Australian camp which is a squad of 25 I end up getting a letter saying like hey we heard you're doing good things we want to invite you to this camp and it's kind of like a wild card invite just like uh, let's just just see what he's like and um Prepared for it with my trainer and whatnot and then um got there in Canberra and I remember the first day we had two sessions and by the by the the camp was gone for about six days. By the end of the first session they offered me a scholarship on the spot to the AS um, Did they? and I like, just broke down and cried. Like it was like <laughs> for me to be able to go somewhere, um to live That a basketball court Was next door to me And I could get into it Whenever I wanted I didn't care about All the other stuff I was like "That That is awesome I can like go and shoot At 9 o'clock at night Turn the lights <laughs> on and, and then You know The rest was history I kind of just built myself up From there
1: Have you ever
0: I don't know Said, said thanks Is the right word H- How have you thanked The bloke That trained you <laughs> This is a touchy one Is it So We've I can't to talk Yeah it. No, I Yeah um,
2: no, I'll touch it quickly. Look, I mean, we had a, a it's a bit of a falling out okay. once I signed my big contract with with Milwaukee. Um, so I'll let that lie where it may. People can can assume what what happened okay. once I signed my big deal. And um, you know, we don't we don't we don't really have a relationship. You know, from from this point from from that point, which was two thousand and eight, just because of some some questionable things that happened.
0: Does that sadden you after the- it? Does
2: it does because he was you know he was like a second father to me. So he was a guy that. I was with more than my parents throughout adolescence. You know, I was basically gone from a boy to a man at 15, 16, 17, and he was very influential on, on who I who I was, was going to become. And, you know, he was like, even though we had fallen out and things didn't go right, i still say, you know, he was a, a big reason why I got better as a basketball player and a really good individual workout guy and, and knew what he was doing. But um, that was kind of the start of, of what would come with, with
0: – with, Dealing with people and money and all that kind of stuff, and, and right. uh, that's the unfortunate side of our business. Which we touched on before. You, you probably won't remember this. Um, we've come across each other yeah. at various times. Channel, Channel Ten, Channel NHD, 10 a, a yeah. Thursday Night Live show, and various times on the radio here at Triple M. But you, you probably don't realise the first time we met was it must have been probably late two thousand and three, or even in two thousand and four. Channel Seven had the Athens Olympics, yep. and myself and a Channel Seven cameraman called Laz Tilecki came out to your parents' house and we filmed you in the gym, but then we had a printout and you read some of the Olympic oath because it was seen at that stage that you were a future Olympian. And I remember we filmed it in your bedroom and I'll never forget that you had the single bed and I looked at the bed and I looked to you and thought, shit, this bloke, you just, I think it had just come out that you were going to Utah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, jeez. This player doesn't even look like he fit in his own bed. Yeah. Um. And we had a chuckle about it, and you were explaining the college system to me, which I didn't really understand at that point about the lack of payment. And you said, "Well, basically they can give me sneakers and lots of them, but not really too much else than that." Yeah. It's a long time ago, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, you look back at all the people you meet along the way. Yeah. So unfortunately, some you don't remember, some m- most you do, but a lot you don't. But um. So what, know,
0: what was that like heading off to play college basketball?
2: I was scary in a way because I was looking forward to the competition, but I'd moved from, from Victoria to Canberra for the AIS for a year and a half and thought living away from home was hard enough. Um,
0: Did you fit in that bed at that stage or not?
2: At the AIS? No. At, at home. home? Oh, I was growing out of it. AS right. was even worse. Those things, were, those things were like balance beams. If you if you made a wrong turn, you were coming <laughs> off <him>. um But... <laughs> Yeah, just I thought that prepared me For moving away from home But it didn't I got I got to I basically My parents were in Croatia At the time on, When I'd left Australia They were over there um, just, on, just on holiday And um, I'd flown out by myself Didn't know who I was meeting In Salt Lake City So just saw a guy In a Utah basketball shirt Didn't know a soul there um, And mm. then You're basically starting your life All over again You have no friends You have no family and and it was really hard just because of the time difference I can't just call home when I'm not feeling well or whatever and because of the the massive time difference couldn't afford to call home back then because I had no money and it was very very expensive so the the best you could do is is MSN messenger with friends Uh, parents didn't know how to use it so that didn't work Um, (laughs) and I really struggled with it really really struggled um, early on and um, thankfully I I picked the right school and had a good support support staff and system with some very good people that, that tried to help me and understood
0: what I was going through and it ended up going well you're talking about the college system again. I was watching something on Netflix the other day and it's oh, it's an NFL-based show where the guys go to college um, and, and it's a lot about their GPA, their grade point mm-hmm. average and, and the jock needing to get yep. certain levels. How does all that work in a college system when you're an athlete but do you have to get certain scores to be able to Yeah,
2: progress? you Basically, uh, a 2.0 is basically around a C. 3.0 okay. is um, a a B and then a 4 is almost perfect which is a, an A um, so yeah you got to maintain above a 2 and you know it, it can be hard for a lot of athletes you if know, you don't if you don't they give you a certain amount of weeks to get it back up um, but if if you don't you get suspended from play So, Does that actually happen? It does. There's, you know, the NCAA is just it's it's – they're just hypocrites in my opinion. So there's ways around it. There's ways around it. And the big schools, let's be honest, they cheat. You know, you're not supposed to be able to pay guys. But I I, I know teammates of mine in the NBA have literally said they've been to college recruiting visits where where a bag of cash comes out in a briefcase. Cash? Yeah, cash. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It can't be traceable. So it'd be like, hey – you know, one kid said, "Oh, you know, I haven't made up my decision yet. I have got two more meetings, and bam, briefcase open. Have you made a decision yet? You know, and um, you don't blame the kids because they really. When I, when I went to school it was worse. The grants have gone up a little bit, so I moved off campus my second year, and I was getting roughly. I got taxed heavily because I was an international student. Mm. Um, I roughly got six fifty to seven hundred dollars a month living allowance. A month. A Month. My rent was my rent was four hundred dollars." For me, me and my roommate was at, it was seven ninety nine uh, or seven ninety, so it was four hundred dollars each. So I had about one hundred, you know, two hundred odd dollars left to pay for petrol and food. Um, huh. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's impossible. Um, I lived about ten minutes from campus, so just fuel bill alone um, was 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 eaten up by it. Um, I ended up getting a job at a sports bar on a Friday and Saturday night. Worked five hour shifts. Doing just yeah. running food. Um, I wasn't twenty one, so I couldn't I couldn't be a full waiter because I couldn't serve alcohol. Um, so I literally just stood where the food comes out And um, would help waitresses carry it over Or if, if the waitress wasn't around I'd, I'd deliver the food And clean up tables And, and roll um, Roll knives and forks and spoons Into napkins And that kind of stuff um, And then hmm. We'd have to go off You know out of training The rest of the weekend I'd have a train You know Two a day sometimes And then I'd have to go to work And i work, work for about Five or six weeks um, in the preseason, just to build up some cash flow, so I could, I could afford to buy some food. Um, but there were a lot of days I was eating off the, the dollar menu, you know, um, at Wendy's, and um, you know, I had three or four bucks, so I could get two two cheeseburgers and a and a fries. Probably not the healthiest, but I was burning a lot of calories at the time. But it's all I could afford, and um, I did have some people try to help, but they, they couldn't really do much because it was it's technically illegal if someone even buys you a meal. If your head coach just takes you out to dinner, it's deemed illegal, and, and they'll get sanctioned for it. Um, but whereas you know the NCAA's bringing in billions of dollars just on TV rights alone, uh, you and you, you've got kids that you know can't afford to take a girl out um, to the movies or
0: whatever. It's it's pretty disappointing. And then other blokes are getting bags of cash.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I wish I knew that
0: earlier. I wish <laughs> I knew that earlier because I would have definitely would have asked for some cash. <laughs> Obviously, went really well for you there because you ended up becoming the number one draft pick, um, which is amazing. The first Australian to do it. Um, what? Uh, What's
2: it like draft day? Um, draft day is interesting. I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have um, because it's just my whole <clears> – <throat> my strength as a young fellow was to play basketball. So, I'm like, I'm going to an environment where someone's going to draft me, pick me apart, you know, analyze me, and I have no control over it. It's not like it's come down and making the shot or, you know, playing some defense and getting a stop. So, yeah. Um, First, the lottery happens, which is about a month before. Found out Milwaukee and Atlanta, the top two picks. I knew I was probably going go to go top two or top three at worst.
0: How uh, do you know that? Because you're being told that or because you're reading that? How does that you work? You just kind
2: of know with, with, with the way media pushed you. Um, your agent obviously puts feelers out of the teams like, you know, right. like you call the number two pick and say, hey, if they're going to take him at one, are you guys going to take him? So we kind of knew. And only worked out for those two teams Milwaukee and Atlanta and they didn't work out for anybody else so <laughs> it worked out worked out that way and then um got drafted on the night
1: with the first pick in the 2005
0: nba draft the milwaukee bucks select andrew bogut from
2: australia and the university of utah Shukaz, David Stern. you go sorry before that you can't go anywhere my whole family was there from australia and croatia everywhere you go there's paparazzi so they're just uh, that wasn't a nice adjustment for me like you know 20-30 people outside your hotel so you can't do anything um, get drafted go straight to the back do 10 or 15 media interviews um, it's about 2-3 hours all up In back in your hotel went to booked out a restaurant um, had a massive night got absolutely um, <laughs> good Aussie style over drunk with alcohol just to celebrate and let loose just all the pressure of leading up to it and all that kind of stuff um, and then um, yeah I was on a on a private flight from New York to Milwaukee The very next day And met everyone out there And then Two or three days later I was I was In Croatia on the beach Having a
0: holiday So And I'm sure it's public record So I don't Wish to pry But when when you sign Your first deal With Milwaukee As a number one pick Can you tell me How much that's worth It was
2: capped So it's capped now So it's So Every pick um, number one is the highest amount for that that rookie. Yeah. Yep. Second is the second highest amount. So I think at that time it was like I think it was a f- it was a three. Uh, I think somewhere close to eighteen or twenty, and then and, and then there were some options. Yeah,
0: yeah. So how do you? We, we've talked about how other people approach it. How do you approach it? That three weeks prior, you're serving food to blokes, et cetera, Through that period to get through, and all of a sudden you've signed a deal for. Like, you can see how the wheels can fall off, can't oh, you? No, you know
2: that. But it was the opposite for me. I kept forgetting I had money. Right. Like, you were still at the dollar meals. Yeah, so I was like... like I still remember I came home in the off-season and I was staying with my parents still because I obviously didn't have a house or anything. And I was just staying with my parents and um, ended up getting a, in a little argument with my parents about something stupid probably. And and um, went back up into the room that I was staying. I was sitting there, I'm like... how on a second, like... Millionaire, like I can just go and stay wherever I want, but, <laughs> but it, just, it just it just it just took a, it just took a while for yeah. that that shift. It took me probably about a good six months to a year. Yeah, I ended up just leaving and going to a hotel. Um, but they're they're the kind of things that it was the opposite for me. It wasn't like I've got, I've got all this money now. And we have to understand we make a lot of money, but taxes take a lot of it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so when the media reports that I've made a hundred million dollars. You know, once you take out agents' fees, you take out taxes. No one's gonna feel sorry for me. Let's just put that out there. Mm. It's closer to thirty or forty, so it's it's not the hundred million dollar man. It's the thirty or forty million dollar man. Um, So you got to you got to know that. You know, so a lot of athletes make mistakes of I signed a, you know, ten year, hundred million dollar deal. I can now buy a house that's worth thirty million and a a boat that's worth five million and this and that. And then you are like, hang on a second, taxes. Yeah, you've got about your taxes and your agent fee. You're probably going to make forty percent of what's what's actually in the fine print. So. A lot of guys
0: forget about that and, and get caught up in that. Your first season, I reckon, at Milwaukee, you played 80 odd, 82 games. Played every games. game, yeah. so first 80, and last time. So you played 82 games, and we'll get to injury and dealing yeah. with that in a moment. Tell me about day to day life, not necessarily at Milwaukee. What, what's day to day life like playing in the NBA? Because here we have, you know, 25 games if you make the grand final in footy. 80 odd games in the regular season.
2: Yeah, it's. Um nothing can can prepare you for it because you feel like you know you have a good game and you like finish the game and you feel great about yourself and they're like mate let's go we're gonna get on a flight and go to wherever you know you just don't have time and that's a good thing about our, our league was the ups and the downs are they last 24 hours you know so whether you've had a crappy game you've got a chance to rectify it within a day or two and whether you've had a good game it can easily turn into a crappy game very soon. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it, it, once the season starts and you click your fingers, it, it's on like Donkey Kong, and it's 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 full throttle all the way where you're either knocked out of the playoffs or don't make the playoffs. Um, my rookie Joe Smith, who was a former number one pick two in the, in the early '90s, he was one of our one of our vets, and I was like stretching, like all nervous, my first training camp, like stretching, just like you know, eyes wide open, kind of absorbing everything. He's like, "You're right, you're right, young fellow." I said, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. Like, training camp, man. Like, you know, I'm nervous this day. Like, he goes, "Don't worry about it." He goes once you click your fingers and look back you'll be 10 years into your career I'm like yeah yeah whatever whatever dude like cool don't give me that now I'm (laughs) I'm nervous and and, and then I look back like I played 13 years in the NBA and it's gone like to the click of your fingers Do you remember that first game? Yeah it was at Philadelphia I guess Allen Iverson they were very good back then and we we ended up winning
0: that game I think so Did you have awe or doubts or Confidence
2: No, nah, Too young and stupid To have any of those I think at that point I think that comes in Later on in your career at least it did for me um, Early on You just kind of Roll with the flow And you have good games And bad games And you just don't You don't overthink it You just kind of Whatever Whereas later on In your career You probably overthink it
0: A little bit too much How do you deal with fame? <laughs> I'm um, not great early on Like you
2: can't you, There's nothing you can do You can talk to all these specialists And do all this media training And fame training And whatever and Fame nothing, training um, You know Yeah Where they prepare for like Hey there's gonna be There's gonna be girls There's gonna be people setting you up There's gonna be people Trying to extort you There's this There's that There's that There's this and People trying to you know, Have you invest in all these Stupid businesses Um, And there Nothing can prepare for that Um, So Like you know, I didn't do a business degree I didn't go Um Learn how to do all that stuff. The one thing that did help me though was growing up in Down and the Hills because it, <laughs> no, honestly, man, it made me so, it made like made me street smart to, to a lot of these people where I just I've got a bad habit of judging people within the first five minutes, and um, I'll back myself and say nine times out of ten I'm I'm more than right, um, and that's because of where I grew up and, and just analysing what's around me and and what's going on um, because you had no choice you know <laughs> you're on a public bus. And there's someone looking shady. They're probably shady, you know. It's, 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 it's it is stereotyping, and that does get knocked these days. But it's, where I grew up, it was kind of like a fight or flight theory. It's like, you know, it might might not be, but the next nine might be. So just be smart with yourself and look after yourself, and, and that kind of helped me transition into having money because I, I, I kind of treat it the same way. I look at look at everybody the same way early on, and then if I tell you with a with the wrong brush, I kind of kind of move on from you.
0: It's not a crass question. You mentioned the girls and you've got a beautiful wife now and a family and I want to ask you about kids before we run out of time here. Um, What's that like when you become from a college student to all of a sudden you're on the telly on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night and you've got girls queued up?
2: Um, makes you look much more attractive.
0: <laughs> so this face turns
2: beautiful overnight. But yeah, look, I had I had some fun. Uh, you know, I was 20 years old, yeah. and living in Milwaukee by myself in a high-rise apartment, and drove a beautiful car and all that fun stuff. So I, I enjoyed myself for for a while. But um, I could only do that for so long. Like it started to really, you know, it started to really, um, really eat at me a little bit. Where. You, know, you can have some fun, but then all of a sudden you have a, a a child out you know out of a relationship and that that really really stressed me out I was like you know I, I can enjoy myself as a bachelor for a little bit but mm-hmm. um i try to i try to smarten up pretty quickly and um i did and didn't get get involved with having Having five or six kids with five or different six people, Which happens. different people. Which happens. Well, it happens a lot in our league, yeah. and there's there's a lot of guys that have seven or eight child support payments coming out of their bank every month. And that's where the money and, goes, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I'm traditional in a sense that I think you should have kids with 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 your your wife and lifelong partner and um, raise them in the right environment. Where'd you meet your wife? Here in Melbourne, uh, she she worked at Chaston actually, um, so. I met her Before I went to the NBA Kind of knew her Um But then just Got a little bit more serious You know Once once I got drafted And whatnot, And started dating A little bit more seriously And she
0: came over a few times And then Yeah it all went from there Turno? Jess Jess mm-hmm. Um We'll skip ahead You're a father now And you've got another one on your way Has that changed you? What was it like becoming a dad?
2: Yeah it does change you Um You got a
0: little
2: A little boy right. Um Expecting another boy So Congratulations Yeah thank you
0: It, it changes you You know um
2: Nothing can you prepare you for it So like You know Everything that people say Everyone's different With how they respond to it And there's tough days And there's great days um, But You can have the worst Like Our little fella's sick now So he's He's a bit of a pain right now Because he's He's very very moody Because he's Not feeling well but you can have, you can have the worst day, and then they do something at the end of the day that makes you smile, and it's kind of all worth it. You know what I mean? And and they do they do cause a lot more stress, especially on the thing you notice is on on the relationship yeah. between a, a wife and a husband, and that's where there's no no amount of books or advice or whatever that can prepare you for that and you, you, you gotta kind of go go along with the flow and, and learn as you go um, you, can, you can get little things to help guide you the right way mm. but at the end of the day it's still gonna be a decision between yourself and your wife and, and that's what that's what's hard I think um You know, your priorities... I knew priorities would would go out the window... But not to this extent... You know, I'm an athlete... So I'm selfish by nature... All athletes are selfish... Like no matter what... No matter what... An athlete is selfish... Because an athlete... By selfish... What I mean is... Game day... I eat at 10 o'clock... I need the food on the table... I'm out the door by 10.30... Come home, I, I, I gotta go get my meal by this time. I gotta have a nap between these times. I'm out the door. Once you have kids, that goes out the window. It
0: does indeed. <laughs> so, you, then, you don't become then, the number yeah, one person. Ex- exactly.
2: So, not only f- my wife looking, you know, she, I was kind of a kid before we had kids. she looked look after me, but it was even me doing stuff for me where now it's like, hang on a second, like hmm. bad luck. Like, you, you got kids. He's,
0: he's, he's the number one right now. Um, and, and routines and all that get knocked about. With everything you've learned. Over the years, and as a, a, a long career and a successful career in the NBA, if your son had that ability, would you want him to be an NBA player or not?
2: Um, I want him to be whatever he wants to be. Okay. If it's if it's a he does like playing basketball already. As an 18 month, you all got the little the plastic hoop in the in the lounge room, and, and he, <laughs> he really likes it. But if you know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be like you need to play basketball because I did or go out there and train. If he enjoys doing it and wants to do it not just because I did it Mm -hmm. I don't want I don't want my kids to to be basketballers because their dad was I think that's you're not doing it for the right reasons if you love the game and you want to play whether it's soccer football go play it I'll support you Um, but don't do it like you know to please me and that's where it's hard for kids because they want to please so much and they want to once they start growing into a, a young boy and a young man they want to please their parents and I'll tell him like you don't need to please me like do what what makes you happy and please yourself. Um, so, if he does get to that point uh, where he's going to be a professional athlete, thankfully I've I've seen mm. the ups and the downs and I can prepare him. But I'll, I'll I'll try to prepare him behind behind the closed doors and and you know when he's out there playing I'm not going to be. You know that dad that's that's yelling and screaming and doing all those things, and I'll, I'll be the guy, you know, um, in the corner and just just watching my kids play. And I don't want I don't want to talk to any of the other parents and do all that stuff. Which sounds sounds kind of mean. I just want to enjoy my
0: son playing and not get involved with all the BS of, of junior sport and, and even even senior sport. The downside of professional sport is injuries, and mate, you've had some um, horrific injuries. I guess the first one was at Milwaukee when you went to slam dunk and. Uh, I don't know what happened.
1: The other, look at that out Look at that out there! Oh no! Oh, no! No! Oh no! Oh no! Got oh, his wrist. No, oh, no, his oh, elbow. No. Oh, no. oh, no. oh it's oh, it's broken. Oh no, it's broken.
0: It's broken. It's puffed out. I don't want to see this.
1: Oh, oh no.
0: What happened?
2: In Milwaukee, with that injury? Um, just one of those freak things. I was having having a career, the best, best year of my career from an individual standpoint. I um, made the All NBA third team, um, almost made an all star spot. It's arguable whether I should have been in that or not. Um, and just. I was running the lane right down the middle of the floor. I heard my coach yelling, "Run, run, run, run!" Um, and then a teammate of mine threw a full-court pass. I caught it in gather. No dribble. One, two. Got a little tiny push on my hip. So those that have played basketball or football know that yeah. if you're going up off, off one foot and you just get a feather on on your back or your hip, it th- just throws your trajectory off. And I ended up getting on the rim and was parallel at one point. And just for some reason, I just couldn't hang on to the rim. Um, and the momentum just threw me kind of. Put my legs up in the air and came down on my elbow and snapped snapped everything in my right arm. So did you know immediately? Yeah, I mean my, my <laughs> elbow was facing me. So, um, but I didn't know the extent of the damage. You know, um, the elbow was one thing, but I also broke my wrist on both you know both sides and and did um, two of my fingers, broke two of my fingers. So I had to I basically had a cast from the top of my shoulder all the way down to my index finger, and that was the hardest injury I've ever had, just because um, my touch was never the same as far as shooting a basketball goes because of you know I still can't
0: straighten that elbow all the way to this day. Wow and does a, a team in that style environment that you've described to me do they get around their injured athletes? Yeah
2: look to an extent um they have to they want to get you back on the court as yeah. soon as possible and, and I was stupid enough that I, I did it in April I was I was I was back on the court in September which is ridiculous because um, I'm the franchise guy I want, wanted to do the right thing and I came back way too early. I couldn't straighten my arm. still. Thankfully, I could use my left around the basket and I could still score the ball. Um, but it, it took me a full year probably to just even get to a point where I was respectable with my right hand and uh, played that whole season, that whole following season. I played 60 or 70 games. I was complaining about some pain and, and like, I'd shoot every now and then. I'd feel a stabbing, stabbing pain in my elbow that would shoot down, basically down my nerves. Kept telling the trainers, like, something's wrong. Like, I don't... I don't feel it doesn't feel right no, you'll be fine they said it was going to be like this you're just going to push through it and kind of calling me a you know what and, yeah. in other words and I was <laughs> like okay cool so I pushed through it got to the end of the season when I had surgery and um, got out of surgery the next you know woke up from surgery and um, they had a little clear container with a um, there was a, a loose bone particle just floating oh. around in that joint and it was um, you know the elbows are a very small joint An- ankles are small but elbows are even smaller um, and so I basically took that to our trainer and our, and our GM at the time and said, <laughs> "Put it on the table." But they, you know, it is what it is. They try to they try to get you on the court as much as they can. and really, their concern isn't really your long term health, which whether that's good or bad, who can say that they're trying to win games now and save their jobs?
0: More of Andrew in a moment. In previous series, we have mentioned private Howie Games podcasts. If you have loved ones, friends, someone that has inspired you or someone close to you whose story you want to be recorded for posterity, please send us an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's Howie, H-O-W-I-E, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. We'll try and organise for me to sit down and have a chat just like a normal episode. It's not for broadcast, but for a family memory okay back to the air we need to progress through your storied career till you get to golden state and we mentioned it a little bit earlier on why that team was special because they were a team how far into that journey did you start to think we could be a serious team here
2: um, when I first got there we were horrible that's that's why I ended up the trade ended up working out because Milwaukee were trying to make a playoff push and I was I, I broke my ankle that year so they were like oh, do we move him we don't want we're going to get value back but he's hurt let's move him to kind of save our jobs and make a playoff push whereas Golden State had blown it up at the time and we're just preparing for the next year already in February um, we, had, we got two or three Good picks that year We ended up winning 50 odd games that year um, Went to the second round Of the playoffs I had a really good run In the playoffs Yeah Off ankle surgery And then the second year Went to the playoffs Again got knocked down In the first round And then Mark Jackson Got fired um, We completely changed Our identity After that Mark helped build What we had to an extent But I, I don't think We could get any any Further than that And, and management thought They needed a change
0: um, And I'll take this right now so. you're right So where was I Playoffs yeah, talking about that the team had
2: turned around. Yeah, so we turned around and ended up having a really good playoff run. Um, then obviously went to the first round the next season. Then Mark Jackson got fired. Um, they brought in Steve Kerr to try and just skip just the team to mesh a little bit better. Mark Jackson had done a great job, but I think the franchise and players thought that it got to the point um, of, of first round, second round, and that was kind of the ceiling with him coaching. That's arguable where they could have went either way. Um, and it was obviously hard on him because he – been there from when they won 20 games mm. and then we won a championship that first year but we, we had we had a bunch of guys you know clay thompson and steph curry and draymond green and and, and whatnot that gave up a lot of things coming from different teams to to kind of put it all together and be be a team um you know we had andre Iguodala, who was a superstar with philly and denver came in and played a role off the bench for us um harrison barnes was a top 10 pick so he played a role we just had a bunch of guys that really understood that if we keep winning games we're all
0: going to get paid and it ended up up working out that way Steph Curry, I'm not massive in my basketball knowledge but watching him come onto the scene, sometimes you see from my position, athletes redefine the game, he just seemed to be able to shoot from such a distance and do it when it was required, explain to me the type of man he is on and off the court and the genius of Steph Curry
2: Trying to get the shot up, no call that way. Perry flings it the other way, and he got it! What a turnaround, Curry the Three! Yeah, he's one of the most talented guys I've been around. Um, very, very creative. His touch is just unbelievable. Um, he's just got an uncanny um, skill of picking things up really quickly. Whether he's throwing darts or whether he's whatever he's doing, he picks up very, very quickly. He? Yeah, he's very, very talented in that aspect of, of things, and. Um, A great teammate, you know, for a superstar, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if you walked in a locker room, you wouldn't know he was a superstar, and they're the kind of superstars you want to have. Hmm. Um, And, you know, going back to what we talked about off off mic, it's you know, the KD thing, Kevin Durant thing, fit in so well with that group. I don't think that f- it. I don't think it fits that way with most teams. You know, most alpha dogs, franchise guys, aren't going to want another franchise guy to come in on their team and take some of the limelight. Whereas he couldn't care. He's like, uh, whatever. We'll keep winning games. And and Clay Thompson arguably is the same. You know, they've they've got two gems in those guys that that they're so lucky to have that Clay could be the number one option on most teams. Um, and probably average, you know, thirty points a game. Um, but he's happy to play a role. And some some nights he gets touches, some nights he doesn't. How big is an
0: NBA final
2: series when you're in it? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it? it's crazy. Yeah, we we had to move all our practices to Oracle just to facilitate media. So at Oracle Arena. We couldn't do it at our facility because there wasn't enough room for the media. So really? the strict rules about you got to give some time before shoot before your practices and shoot-arounds to the media where it's just a free-for-all and then you got to give the last 15 minutes open door where they can record some action and then another half an hour after that. So it's full-on and you've got countries, uh, journalists from countries from all around the world. Some of them don't speak a English, so it's very, very hard. Um, some of them, you got comedians coming in there trying to take the piss out of us. So you've you got to navigate through all this different <laughs> stuff and there's, it's just literally a free-for-all of about 100 journalists just walking around a basketball court, just walking up to... We all just sit in different areas Just walk up to different guys Like hey uh, uh, And then you're just like Oh wow Like, But it is It is a once in a lifetime experience
0: How do you prepare An hour Before a game Mentally To go out there On the biggest stage On American sport
2: I think um, Just having the same routine so Sometimes even if you're not Fully engaged mentally Your, your routine forces you To get engaged Yeah Because we've got so many games So it's, it's kind of hard To have that AFL week's preparation of.
0: Yep So what's your routine?
2: Um, I get to the arena about two hours before. Um, depends if if I'm carrying any injuries or something that's bothering me. I'll I'll go in and get some treatment. Um, so get a bit of a rub or a stretch or whatever. I usually warm my feet up in just a hot um, like a hot bucket, a bucket of hot water. Just warm the to, feet up. Just yeah, just try to. Big fellas' feet are obviously very very important to us. Um, and you know a lot of those arenas are cold when we get there so you just walk in like a little bit chilly try to get warm for anything else you need to stretch then I'll, I'll go into the weight room and do a, a few little activation exercises no weights but just some you know some some body weight squats and band stuff get the hammies and qu- you know quads warm that kind of stuff what about food i don't eat t- so i'll, I'll basically m- when I have some fruit two hours till t- in between two hours and, and tip off um, yeah i don't have a big meal i usually eat my meal when i when I wake up from my nap which is about about you know three three, three and a half hours before I tip off um, but then yeah I'll, I'll go stretch and then with about my shooting time was 60 minutes pre-tip off so everything's a countdown in the NBA when you get there it's, the clock starts at you know 120 minutes and then they start it and then once they get to zero it means it's tip off um, go out and shoot for about 15 minutes come back in get my ankles taped and sit in my locker for about 10-15 minutes we have a meeting at about, with about 30 minutes left on the clock we watch a bit of quick film a few of the scouts personnel this guy does this one clip of each guy huh. bring it in one, two, three then guys have another four or five minutes to either go to the toilet or you know get the final final bit of um, icy hot or you know the, yeah. the denker rub type stuff on there um, and then we're usually, we usually want to be out of the locker room with 18 on the clock with a plan to run out between
0: 18 and 16 um, doing, our, doing our layout lines and all that and when the final buzzer goes and the Golden State Warriors are which you are part of are the NBA champions what's that like for a bloke that grew up and got cut from sides did training with a personal trainer went through these injuries and What's it like, mate, when you are part of the best team in the world?
2: Oh, it's, it's even greater just because you know how hard it is in the NBA. I mean, just to be part of a group that, that actually is the last group standing at the end of a season. It's one one in 30 chance and, and even, even less than that because there's some, some teams that probably don't have a chance winning a championship in the next five years. Rebound, Curry. And the dream season is now complete. The Golden State Warriors are the 2015 NBA champions. Their first
1: title in 40 years
2: to do that and especially the satisfaction for me was to come to that franchise and be part of a bunch of other guys that came from other teams. And and, and the franchise was in absolute turmoil, Mm. had a horrible decade. They'd made the playoffs once or I think they made playoffs once since like 1993 or four, um, That was that was the best part of it. It was it was literally built from the ground up. Whereas now we see super teams and and teams just the highest you know bidding for being the highest bidder for superstars and grouping superstars together. Whereas we were like a genuine like built from the ground up, two or three good draft picks, one or two solid free agency signings, and it all just worked out.
0: How do you celebrate?
2: Uh, Not 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 too well. We're in Cleveland on a Tuesday night, so there wasn't (laughs) a whole lot going on. Um, But we uh, they booked out like a restaurant close to our hotel and and we were there at all five, six in the morning, cigars and beers and champagne and um, family and friends were all there. So they flew up, they flew up family on a separate plane. Um, So they were all there and it was, yeah, it was good. And then obviously it was was on like Donkey Kong the next couple of days because we flew back, had the parade a couple of days later and then we finished it off by going to Vegas as a team for about 36 hours. What was Um, that like? Very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, very interesting. But it was cool. Tell me something Uh, that happened
0: in Vegas that you can tell me. Oh, that would be much. <laughs> um,
2: it's just it's just cool because not many teams the day you the day you lose or you're out of the playoffs you don't see your teammates generally the next season. Wow. So for us to not only win, but obviously we won so it helped, but to actually hang out beyond that, beyond when we had to shows that we were a group that was together. Um and then yeah, we just we literally flew in. Um, and, and flew straight back 36 hours later. Party, to, party together. That was a big thing. We, we didn't have guys going off and doing their own thing. We all partied together, drank together, ate meals together, and that was it. You know, we, we knew that, that this is this that we always talked about. This that team that won is is the last time that team will be together. Mm. And regardless of how good you are, there'll always be management making tweaks and drafts and this and that. And it came to fruition. A lot of guys took off after that.
0: LeBron James is arguably the greatest athlete on the planet in a lot of people's eyes. What's it like to play against LeBron James on a basketball court? Oh it's tough. You know, he's 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 as strong as me, if not stronger. He's six eight, six nine
2: and he runs as fast as the fastest guy in the NBA and he's athletic as the most athletic guy in the NBA and when um, you top all that off. There's a lot of guys like that in the league, arguably that that have those physical specimens that are just absolute anomalies athletic yep. jump. But they don't have the basketball IQ that he has too so he has he has both of them usually you have got one or the other you got guys that are huh. you know the, the slower more methodical high IQ guys or you have the really athletic can jump over you know a car but can't put it together mentally he's both and that's what you see a like, lot guys just unbelievable knows the game back to front athletic um, strong and and just you know the, the amount of pressure that he's under on a daily basis yeah. you know that squad arguably you take him away from that squad, it's arguable if they make the playoffs. I mean, the East isn't as strong as it has been, so maybe they scrape in, but they're, they're definitely nowhere near where they are now without him.
0: Good dude? Didn't
2: really spend much time around him. I was, I was only there for a, a quick, quick drop in the ocean. Um, mm. But had a few practices and he seemed to know to know what he was t- talking about and doing and seemed to have have a mindset of just winning.
0: regular listeners to this show, Andrew, know uh, that I have a couple of children called Sky and Mac, otherwise known as the Pickle and the Big Penguin. They come up with their own nicknames and I normally put a question to them. Um, We have a chat in the morning. I say, this is the boat we speak to. And they ask a question. I actually have my phone off, so I'll just load that up and I'll play it to you in a minute. But before we finish here, talking about kids, as I said, we're blessed that a lot of kids listen to this. Yours has been an unbelievable journey with some massive highs and some massive lows. What's your advice for youngsters and sport and just how to succeed? What What are the keys to success, do you reckon?
2: Um, well, I got in trouble. I was speaking to a school a couple of months ago and I said, don't let anyone tell you that you you can't or don't let anyone tell you no you can't. And, and a parent obviously took that as she's telling the young fellow, like, don't throw that. And then he said, Andrew Bogie said I, you know. <laughs> so... In an aspect of professionalism and sport is, is don't let a coach say that you can't or, or you won't you can change that um, so if someone says you can't you can't make the NBA I had people tell me you know, you're know, you not, not going to be a professional athlete all throughout my career as a young fella you're bad at you, you're not going to make a professional athlete you better study hard because you're not going to make it <laughs> so it was just it was up to me then to be like okay cool I'm going to go in the backyard I'm going to shoot for 3-4 hours a night I'm going to shoot to the point where my old man had to put floodlights up in the backyard so I could shoot past dark <laughs> um and the age-old number that's always thrown around for a lot of people who haven't heard: to master a craft is ten thousand hours, I believe. Um, whether it's being a plumber, or whether it's being whatever, ten thousand hours masters of a specific craft. It's a lot of hours. It is. So the kids out there get a calculator and figure that out. If you, I guarantee, if you spend that amount of time on your craft, whether you're five nine or you know whatever, you'll you'll more than likely make it into that field. Um, so get out there and whether you're a soccer player kick a ball or I used to take a basketball with me to the milk bar and just dribble it you know I used to take a basketball with me just to random stupid places and people people would be pissed because I was just bouncing a ball <laughs> and you know they're, they're the kind of stories and things that help, help they help you no matter what like people think it's stupid but it might help your ball handling down the track it might help you know just, just sleeping with the ball and I'd be like shooting while I was on my bed just throwing up to the ceiling you know stuff like that so if you truly love something and you're passionate about it, um, but truly are, there's a lot of kids. That, there's mm. a lot of kids and adults that say, oh, "I want to be this," but mate, you're spending one hour, one hour a week on it, or two hours a week on it. You're not going to be Steph Curry. But if you're spending five, six, seven, eight hours on something every day, I can guarantee you, and it's always on your mind, you're going to you're going to have a very good chance of making it because you're going to set yourself apart from the other 99.9%.
0: I love it. Do you want to hear? The question firstly from the 6-year-old the big penguin or the 8-year-old the pickle you choose
2: is the big penguin bigger though not and we had this discussion penguin. with
0: Luke longley that because he wanted to be bigger and Luke longley said well you got to start calling yourself the big giraffe because you got to get in the right <laughs> mental uh no it's just a name he came up with a couple Still of years ago penguin. okay well, let's go with the penguin then first now, all right this is his question asked you this morning when he was having his breakfast before school
1: bogey, big penguin here. I got a pair of new shoes, and they're size one. They're quite big. Are you, how big are your shoes? Are they bigger than size
2: one? Yes, my shoes are bigger than size <laughs> size one. Are they really? Yeah, he's only a little
0: chap. Okay,
2: my son's already beat him at eighteen months. <laughs> Don't tell
0: him that he be, He'll be flat about that because he wants to be thing.
2: big. Google little boykins. I played with him. He was he was five on a good day and was absolutely dominant but right. um, my shoe size is I'm size 18 US so size 18 US caused a lot of problems when I had no money but now thankfully um, so you so can't buy is, them uh, you can 18's a cut off now right I think, when I was younger though it was 16 so I was absolute like <laughs> I went to Catholic school so finding dress shoes was was, was a real challenge but um, yeah now it's, it's 18's a cut off so if you're a 19 feel
1: bad, bad for you I know. don't
0: think he's ever going to be a 19 right now you get the pickle who uh, we looked at some of your highlights this morning with the Pickle because she wanted to know a little bit more about you. Hi, Bergie. Pickle
1: here. I play netball and getting quite good, but I want to know how to slam dunk, <laughs> but I'm too short. How old were you when you first slam dunked?
2: Oh, good question. I think I was late for a guy on my height. I, I slam dunked, I think it was in warm-ups so of a game in, I think it was under 16, so it would have been 4 or 15. You remember it? Yeah, it was in warm-up. It wasn't in a game. My first in-game... Um, was was when I was about 16, 16 and a half. So, you know, the best thing for, for improving your vertical leap is is I used to skip a lot, like just skip skipping, yeah, jump rope, skipping, yeah. So used to, with that crazy trainer back in the day, that was the start of every, every practice. I hated it, but um, I did a lot of skipping and it, I really noticed you know the long term effects of doing that every day you know I got to a point where I was boxer like where it was just automatic and one foot and two foot and two combinations and all that kind of stuff that really helped me Um, there's all these gimmicks out there arguably maybe they work maybe they don't but the best best way is just get a rope with two handles on it and
0: go for your life you've worked hard for it but Basketball and sports
2: been pretty good for you, has not it? Oh no doubt. I would I to change it for the world. I mean, I've I've learned so much, not just as a basketball player, but as a man and as a, uh, as a as a human being. Met a lot of influential people. Met a lot of bad people. Take the good from the good people and the bad from the bad people and, and learn from it. Um, going back to actually, I wanted to finish with going back to keeping the score for young kids. Yeah. Um, I did want to say that back then. It's very important. Course it is, and, and and I think the political correctness today that that, that it's now trickled down into children where they don't understand oh. when and why. The best thing you can do as a young kid is lose because it teaches you about failure. And every you talk to all these entrepreneurs and, and all these people that that are now you know multimillionaires and billionaires, they've all failed at one point in their life because because it's a, it's a really valuable tool and it's looked upon like it's not. It's looked upon like it's a you should never fail. No, you, you want your kids to fail because if they don't fail, they they won't ever have to aspire to anything. If they're just given everything that first time they fail as an adult, which is inevitable, mm. their life's gonna fall apart. And I'm huge on keeping score. Obviously you understand this there's there's kids that struggle with losing by 100 one day or something like that but you learn from it and if you lose by 80 the next week it's an improvement and you're doing the right thing um that's that's a pet peeve of mine i I really i really struggle with that um i think kids have to keep scoring and let's be honest they know the score at the end of the game anyway of course they're not stupid Um, kids are keeping but you learn from failure you fail you know it then makes a kid like all right i shot zero for 10 last game what am i going to do this next week before the next game i'm going to go out and practice (laughs)
0: I could not you agree with so, I just wanted to mention that at the end. Hey, mate, you've been so good with your time. Um, again, as a sports fan, I'm genuinely excited that I'm going to be able to watch you play live and I'm going to be able to take my kids and watch you play live. I think the country is really excited to watching you play. So, mate, good luck with the next stage of your career, becoming a dad for the second time. Um, and without being cheesy, mate, you've represented your country. We haven't even spoke about Olympics. You've represented your country on the world stage so well that to be able to see you come home and do that now, I think it's just... It's absolutely fantastic, especially when you've still got gas in the tank.
2: Yeah, thanks. Go Kings.
0: Andrew Bogut. He is a star. He's a star on and off the court. Thanks to the big man for his time and good luck to him as he suits up for the Kings. I reckon you should go and take a look. It'll be worth it. Peace and
1: love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try Listener